Hi, everybody. Welcome to Pockets Full of Soup, the storytelling show. I'm your host, Jerry Petty, joined today by the immaculate, oh. the handsome, oh. the lovely, the articulate. A barrage of compliments. Indeed. James Duggan. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming on here, James. Uh, you do. You, you have an interesting job, James. What do you do yes. for a uh, So I'm an editorial producer at IGN, and that kind of is almost a key to the city in the sense that um, I do... A little bit of everything. Yeah. Uh, I write my own scripts. I do VO. I do my own capture. I edit. I publish. I come up with headlines. I think about strategy. Um, it's it's really, in my opinion, maybe the coolest job at that place. Uh, and something that I specifically targeted as soon as I started working there, I went to Destin Legary, who had my title before me on my first day. And I was like, hey, how do I get your job? And he was like, you know, you just started working here, right? Calm down. Um, well, he is kind of an angry Canadian, so that works. Yeah. He, if he's making fun of you, it means he likes you. Exactly. Uh, I want to have him on here one day. I really do. You should. Yeah. I'm sure he has a story to tell. Yeah, I'd like that very much. So, but you, James, are here today. Uh, we are live. You may recognize this set from another episode we did. Yes. I believe, yeah, people have seen this one before. Yes. But Sans Totoro. And now we are here from your apartment to talk about... To talk about uh, my friend Connor Smith. Connor Smith. So this is a show about, uh, if you haven't watched before, but the people in our lives that we're thankful for. And you're going to talk about Connor. Yes. Now, usually with an episode, I have a little more of an idea where we're going in. James deliberately is like, I kind of want to go in off the cuff on this. Yeah. So let's talk about Connor. I know nothing about Connor up to this point. Who is Connor Smith? So Connor Smith is, um, I guess the best way that I can articulate it is he was just a formative influence that took me, that completely broke my mold when I was about nine years old uh, and broadened my horizons to just a plethora of various things and in a lot of ways shaped who I am today. Um, and he did this without necessarily even trying to. Really? Okay, yeah. this is fascinating. Is Connor your age? Like, are you guys? Con yes, yes. Okay. Connor's a single year older than I am. And when did you guys meet? First grade. First grade. Okay, first grade. so so he doesn't actually change your life till you're a little bit older. But yes. you meet in the first grade. So you, we meet in Are the you first both grade. in the first grade? Yes, we're both in the first grade. Now, where is this? Where are you at? And uh, I am living in Connecticut. Connecticut. Um, and I had been moving around my entire life. I had moved from Maine to Maryland to Connecticut. And uh, as a result, I had no friends. Um, from all this moving around. Yes, right. And uh, Despite being articulate and handsome. Well, at that point, I was neither. Really? Um, no, I was very, I was very introverted. Uh, I still am, in a sense, but I was very introverted. I was the butt of ridicule. I was, oh. you know, um, new. Mm -hmm. And and that's something that I, I feel like a lot of people experience um, when they're younger in middle school and high school. And in a lot of ways, it's actually kind of helpful, which is strange. But but that gives you kind of context for how you interact with people, how it make it may make them feel. Um, so kind of being not on the top of the, the totem pole at some point in your life, I think is somewhat healthy. Yeah, but, it can be, but it can also, ooh, it's difficult. And that when you are new, when you're there, I mean, yes, it can be an opportunity. It can be like 16 Candles where Molly Ringwald looks at Anthony Michael Hall and says, hey, you may come back next year a completely normal person. Uh, <laughs> you know, you, you come back to something or you start something anew and, and things go well. But as a kid who moved in the middle of elementary school, it was awful for me. And I, I don't know what it was like for you. Yeah, it was tough. Um, there were definitely bullies. There was the usual kind of stuff that I've completely taken in stride and hold no grudges at this point. No uh, grudges at all? No, 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 no. I think everybody that I grew up with, I grew up with um, an immensely mature class, uh, all things considered. And I think that everybody kind of came away as a mature person who didn't necessarily hold grudges towards one another. Hmm. And that's certainly a privilege. But what really helped me uh, stand up for myself and also kind of explore the things that I would become... Um, kind of get into in my life was yeah. this friend of mine. Now, and was Connor from the town you'd moved to? 
Yes, Connor is from a town called Madison, Connecticut. Madison, tell us for people that have never sure. journeyed to the to, to Madison, the, Connecticut. For all seven of you that have never been to Connecticut, <laughs> if Connecticut were a food, what food would Connecticut be? <sighs> smelly cheese. Smelly cheese. Yes, uh, Connecticut expound. would be. Well, it would be smelly cheese, and then it would be a, a really thick, hearty American hamburger if you go into the more rural areas. Okay. But uh, Madison, Connecticut, is a um, very. It's a beach town. Uh, it's wealthy. It's. Um, a little bit repressed and in the 90s i think it was almost a like kind of that seventh heaven dawson's creek town where all of the kids wanted nothing to do with what their parents wanted them to you know did, did anyone want to wait for their lives to be over <laughs> i don't know I don't okay know. uh but it was a beach town and i ended up moving away from it to um so again i moved again yeah and my parents really tried not to move me after i got to middle school okay uh or i'm sorry i was Fourth grade? Yeah, fourth grade. I moved away, and so I moved away from Connor. Um, and okay, actually, we're going to jump ahead here. My apologies. Right, okay. and it, it actually wasn't until that point that we really started kind of bonding, and he became a, a really important foundation in my life. Okay, so you met Connor in first grade, but he actually became more important after you left. Yes. We'll get there then. Okay, so let's talk about meeting Connor. First grade, who's your first grade teacher? Oh, no idea. I no, can't, I no can't remember the names. I cannot remember the names of my third grade teacher. My, I think the first... Names I can remember are like my freshman year uh, chorus teacher who I had for four years named Mrs. Webster. So you don't remember any of your teachers' names till high school? No. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, I just don't. I, I could not recall. Huh, that's that's really interesting. My first grade teacher was Mrs. Purvis. She's the only Purvis <laughs> I've ever met. That's P-U-R-V-I-S, so Mrs. Purvis. Is that uh, like a normal thing to remember all of your teachers all the way I don't know. I've never really had this discussion with anyone. Huh. So you're there in the first grade, and do you remember meeting Connor? Or is he this I person do. that kind of entered into your life just the sort of like The very first time I remember meeting him, it was um, not a noteworthy occasion at all. Um, I just remember thinking, wow, that kid's really like cool or looks like a lot of fun to hang out with it was first grade so there wasn't necessarily a, a, a social hierarchy at that point but um you could tell like who was fun and who was funny and who was uh, a troublemaker and that was him that was okay. him in a nutshell okay. even even at that age you know like six especially at that age okay how so yeah. tell me about connor what's he like so uh connor at that time yeah um was a completely uncontrollable uncontained um spirit of of mayhem and mischief okay um his parents uh well I, I think in the 90s there was just this kind of and maybe even today i'm not really i haven't kept up on it but i think that diagnosing people with add and adhd was very prevalent mm -hmm. and his um he had been diagnosed with adhd and it was on a ritalin re regiment the entire time i knew him even from that age okay. even from that age up until the senior year in high school uh and we'll get to that later but so even with this, he his his spirit and his character could not be contained, um, and he was always getting in trouble, and he right. was always um, making jokes. But what was remarkable, I think, about him was unlike other people who were making jokes, it was they were never about other people in the class. Um, he was never aggressive or never targeted anybody. He seemed to find um, humor um, and fun just in the world. So he wasn't particularly cruel. No. He yeah, was a lot of childhood cruel. humor is pointing at another kid. That sure. wasn't him? That was not him. So were you drawn to him at that age? I, I can't remember. I think my mother um, just kind of recognized the archetype that I was becoming and the archetype that he was and kind of thought to herself, it might be healthy for them to interact. And uh, before because I... Because you at this point were more introverted? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, I needed friends. And I think the first time that I really remember like interacting with him, he came over to my house unbeknownst to me i didn't even know that he was coming over huh. uh and my mother kind of set up this play date um and we just we just hit it off immediately what 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 did you guys find a mutual interest in? um it was almost always violence though okay <laughs> it, was, uh... <clears throat> it was almost always um we played marathon if you remember that that early bungee game i do uh, we love that we uh got into airsoft together did you did you have a mac I did. Okay. I had a Mac. Right, my first right. games were X-Wing and Marathon, and my father installed those on there, uh, and then Age of Empires and stuff like that. Okay. Followed suit. But, um, so you're, you're playing Marathon. You're doing what Yeah, else? we're playing games. We're getting into mischief. But the, the thing that I remember the most about Connor was was not on a computer, although he was extremely formative uh, for me in terms of getting me interested in video games. Yeah. He was the one who showed me Diablo 2 for the first time. Uh, that was when I really pressured my parents to get me a computer or to let me use their iMac. Um, and he was the first person I saw playing World of Warcraft and like all these things that the really the fact that you were a Mac gamer suddenly reveals so much about <laughs> what I know about what you love about video games uh -huh. like I'm just like oh it all makes sense I wasn't now. a PC gamer until I was no, like 14 no maybe. you were a 90s Mac gamer yep. okay that explains yep. the... remember those uh, yeah wow yeah uh, goodness alright so moving on sure uh, you and Connor uh, so you bonded did you become close friends at that time uh Definitely. And what was weird about it for me was that it was one of those scenarios where I was like, why is this guy hanging out with me? Okay. Um, he Did would, you ever ask him? He would come over, not until we were much, much older, uh, but he would come over and he just seemed so cool. He was classically just handsome. Even at, even at like, I could just, you know, when, you, when you're that age and you have a sense of who is going to be attractive and when, when boys start talking to girls, and that was another huge uh, part of our relationship as we ended up going to summer camp together and kind of had that like... Um, that just like kind of quintessential summer camp. Um, the boys tribe meeting the girls tribe and like running off away from our, our counselors and having an adventure together. And he was always the biggest proponent of that. And girls were always interested in him. Okay. Um, he was like, he just had a, a six pack from the time he was like <laughs> 12. I remember, I remember, I remember going uh, swimming at this camp and, you know, everybody is like, I don't even know what, maybe fourth grade, fifth grade, whatever. Everybody, everybody has their weird kid bodies. I look like a, a beanstalk that uh -huh. is like barely able to keep himself um, upright. And meanwhile, Connor like rips his shirt off and he looks like a mini Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> and he had these like biceps that were just like, even to this day, even with all the lifting I've done and all the amount of protein I've I've had like I don't know he was just I, I'm flashing to that episode of Family Guy where Stewie's imagining being at the beach and yes. the teddy bear is all ripped yes like, that's it was pretty much like that very uh, very funny um so you guys went to camp you had shenanigans and hijinks can you give me a story about something fun you two did together somewhere sure all right uh this is a, a series of stories about mischief of just the 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 top five Connor Smith mischief episodes Shenanigans. that we would get into. And keep in mind, I was always a, a by the books, by the follow the rules kind of uh, kid who mm -hmm. who really avoided tr getting into trouble, was terrified at the idea of being in trouble. But you were his friend, so you were right there but in I was, the periphery. But I was his friend, and, and man, he just dragged me through the mud with all the stuff that he did, and I am so thankful for it. So all that kind of stuff. Okay, so uh, I came over... One night, we were maybe about 15, so we were sophomore in, in high school, and that was at the peak of his rebellious uh, age against against his parents. And um, I walk in, and he's he's filling a um, one of those like things that you spray uh, either pesticides or water on plants. So it's yeah. basically like this big tank connected to a hose, 
<laughs> it sprays out water. But he was filling it with gasoline, of course. Okay. Um, so it's a, you, and it you, was snowing. It was the middle thrower. of winter. He created a flamethrower in the winter, and I just sat there and watched him do it. Uh, and I was like, "What are you doing?" And he he was so driven and focused on creating this flamethrower. And so he's like, "We," uh, he's like, "I don't even remember how it happened, but we just end up going out to his his backyard." And of course, we all kind of live in the country, and there's snow. It's like that kind of like icy snow um, where there's a li- like a a small layer of ice over the snow, and he just like douses the lawn and then just lights it on he fire douses the snowy lawn the snowy lawn and lights it on fire ah. uh there was another time that we well i'm sorry i'd like to go back sure. before we move ahead sure, from that, sure. did he did first did you ever say this is a good way to die no because i didn't think to at that point okay second. this was this was a test of our boundaries as kids as, okay. as to what we could do and still be safe. Because I know fifteen-year-olds do have a self-preservation instinct, generally sure. speaking. So, second, maybe we were maybe we were thirteen. I'm not what sure. does what does snow look like on fire? Beautiful, really? absolutely gorgeous. Don't try it at home. No, don't do this, please. Uh, but please man, it, it looks that. beautiful. It, it, it's just, does it melt? Does it? No, it, it kind of almost glasses a little bit, and the fire is extinguished once you start kicking snow onto it. But I remember, like, it's it, it's almost like this very microscopic mountain range that's just been has this like kind of bluish tinge to the edge of the flame and i don't know why i remember that so distinctly but in his backyard also because it was snow on yeah. <laughs> fire and that's not something many of us have ever seen that's why you and remember that's a, it but that's a drop in the bucket of the things that that we yeah. would get ourselves into and there were so many of these hijinks and it, it really just taught me in a weird way it taught me to think objectively about things and oh, please and, please expound on that um so, so basically, we would do things uh, that were extremely mischievous, and you know, my parents, I feel like, had an understanding that it was going on, but his parents hated it. His parents wanted it to stop. Well, let's he, talk. About what was the relationship between he and his parents like? It was strained. I think it's maybe better now, but I think when you have his parents um, had a large family, and the rest of his family was like very. By the books, successful brothers and sisters. Yeah, okay. uh, and going to college, and but they were much older than him, and he was just this little hellion. Did you ever talk with Connor about this this energy and outlet to like where it all came from? I mean, in, introspectively, in any way, as you were growing up. I'm not sure. Um, I feel like, uh, I mean, I feel like it was half for fun, but also half out of um, maybe like a not desperation, but maybe a a plea for attention in some way. Maybe not though. Maybe he was just doing it because it was fun. And that was what was so interesting. But like to move away from the fact that we're doing all this stuff and lighting all these things on fire, um, (laughs) which by the way, we never, one of my favorite things, like everybody has these childhood stories about how they shot squirrels with BB guns and stuff. We never, like he was never interested in hurting life. Uh It was always just creating chaos. But uh, so to, to back away from that for a second, he was super articulate, super funny. Um, and an incredibly friendly and welcoming individual that would just kind of unite all of these circles and cliques, uh, especially in high school, um, and we would all just kind of mold together, and as a result, I was able to make friends with other people that I would have, at that point, been too timid to approach. So he was group glue. Yes, absolutely. Group glue people are rare and wonderful. Yes. Wow, okay, so he also had that ability. So you made other friends through Connor. Yeah, uh, and I I introduced Connor to other friends. That's Um, really cool. And as... As we grew up, um, it was this this almost this if you plotted out kind of our social acceptance on a chart, he started at like, you know, 10 and I was at like one and I, I 
grew up there and then towards the end of high school <clears throat> is when he decided that he just didn't want to be taking Ritalin anymore. That just isn't what he wanted to do. That, is, that that wasn't what he wanted um, to be for the rest of his life. Did he talk to his parents about that before he came to that decision or is it something he decided maybe, on his own? I don't know. At that point, I, th- I feel like that was like take your medicine kind of thing and okay. he just didn't want to be a part of it. And rightfully so. Like you should absolutely have a say in taking a, a regimen of, of medication that's going to alter the way that you act and feel and uh, and so, but when that does happen, um, it's, it's almost like teenage rehab. You kind of go into this, well, he went into this, uh, stage for a couple of weeks where he was like unbearable to be around. Um, well, he was doing this without a doctor, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so then he didn't tell his doctor. He didn't tell his parents. Not that I know of, but, but he told you, um, Yeah. Yeah, and, and I could tell. And I remember taking him to this one party at the end of senior year in high school. <clears throat> and he's like walking around completely naked um, huh. with his hand over his junk. And people were like, who is this guy? Why'd you bring him here? Like, get him out of here. And I, I'd like to go back to him being completely naked at your party. How, how, <laughs> how, that we just... were at, there was a hot tub. It was like a, that was just kind of like the vibe uh, at that point. But, but he so was. to different parties than I went to. <laughs> he was. Uh, he was partying too hard for that particular party, but it was because that he had stopped this How old was he at this thing. Point? He was, we were both 18. Well, I mean, he might've been 19, okay. but after that, he went right back to being the Connor I knew and loved. Uh, so there was a more vibrant period, version. But it actually, yeah. It felt like it, it, and huh. yeah. And like, so he was an adult when he made the decision. He was about 18. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and had he thought about it a long time? Did you guys talk about it? No. It was just kind of something that I think he did. And, but, when he, and afterward, when he came out the other side, what was it like? It was better for him. I remember he was immediately Connor. And then what was weird was he started being like really responsible. So to to contrast that experience where he was like the completely too rowdy guy to party, we went to another party where he was just the the, the party dad, uh, <laughs> and he was it was being incredibly responsible. Um, and there were these contrasting sides uh of him depending upon the company that he was with um but the point was at his core he was this person who was uh incredibly genuine incredibly loving just like born to be liked um and for some reason liked me and i never really understood what i gave in return and Did what sh- i got out of it i don't know if you've ever seen that episode of the next generation where there's the mesomorph oh i mean if the answer is i don't know if you've ever seen that episode <laughs> of the next generation the answer is always yes sure uh, so so it's this this alien life form that's like the perfect mate or whatever yeah. and the whole idea is she adapts to be the person that she is around mm-hmm. and i feel like a lot of us go through a stage in our lives where we, where we are very impressionable and i felt that i was at my best when I was around Connor because he was pushing my boundaries, teaching me to think objectively about things, um, teaching me to be kind of anti-authority and stand up for myself, uh, as well as just being a, a great friend. The people that make us better. Have you ever seen The, the Big Chill? I've never seen The Big There's Chill. There's a line in that where a group of old college friends have become adults and end up having, through tragic circumstances, to spend a weekend together around someone's death. And w- they're sitting together, and one of them just looks at the others and goes, I was at my best when I was with you people. Mm. And it's this very quiet moment. You just realize that they were never the person they were after yeah. stepping away. Some people have that kind of powerful effect on us. We've been jumping a little bit, and that's, that's kind of, I think that works for hitting various aspects of this person's personality. But I'd like to go back 
to the narrative for a second because I did throw you off here. You said that your relationship with Connor became more and more important, especially after you moved away from Madison. Can you tell me what made the difference and, and what why that was such a pivotal thing for the two of you? I think um, it was because I, I was not having a very good time at the school I was at. Okay. Um, when I moved away from Madison to this town called Hilling, uh, Killingworth, Haddam Killingworth, it was like a weird conjoined town because there weren't enough people in a single town to form a high school. So you, you lived in a hyphenated town? <laughs> hyphenated, um, well, a hyphenated high school. I lived in Killingworth and then Higginham, and man, we were always moving. I never really thought about that. But anyway, um, I Income stayed... tax evasion with James <laughs> We stayed in a... Maybe my father is like a mob boss. I'm not sure. But uh, we, I stayed in the same school um, from fourth grade and on. Okay. And especially from fourth grade to about seventh grade, uh, I was having a really hard time meeting friends that um, I was able to interact with. What happened when you tried? I don't know. I think I was met with, um, like bullying hmm. for the most part or, or the friends that I did end up interacting with would be totally different in a different circle. So for instance, I had one friend who, uh, I really liked his name was Matt and this was early, this was like fourth grade. And then, um, we would be, he would be really cool. When we were, it was just the two of us, or maybe three of us, but then there was this other kid who was really cool named Eric. And as soon as he was with, we were all as a group, he would just treat me like dirt. And I was like, what is this? And Connor never did that. Um, he was consistently your friend. He was consistent. And, and, and the other thing that's crazy, because I'm, you know, I kind of have admitted that to a fault that I also change around people. Uh, I always made it a point not to be uh, mean to anybody in a different context, but certainly like, my identity alters and shifts depending upon uh, who I was surrounded by at that age. But he was just this true expression of himself hmm. uh, all the time. And it was remarkable. Was it proactive on his part? Do you know? Do you guys ever talk about that? No, I don't think he was thinking about it. I just huh. think that was his identity. Was. So you move away. He's gone. How did you keep in touch? I mean, you said you moved in the fourth oh, grade, Oh, it was the next right? town over. Oh, okay. So, so it was like a 20-minute drive. I would go over to his house every weekend, every other weekend. Oh, I have this impression. I would sleep there. Like, I forget it's Connecticut. This yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like tiny. California. You're eight hours away. No, no. Right. It's a, man, don't let that map of California fool you. Like, on the, you look at the map of the U.S. and you're like, oh, Los Angeles, San Francisco, they're not so far apart. Uh, it's eight hours. Yeah, it's drive. a real, real long way. Highway. No, yeah, real long time. But you guys are very close. So you're still seeing each other. You're just not at school. But school... When you're a kid, is the universe. I mean, that's yeah. the oh, yeah. that's the hub of activity. Like going to see somebody that next town over. That's still a big deal when you have no driving ability. Sure. When you got to high school and you could drive, did that affect your relationship at all? Was it easier to see each other? Yeah, or, yeah. we hung out a lot. And what again? What this wasn't an accident. This was all orchestrated by my mother, who recognized how good of a person he was and mm. how good he was for me. Um, and in uh, basically fourth grade. Like the whole school year, we would see each other every other weekend or whatever. But then in the summer, we were all enrolled in this camp, which is called Camp um, Deer Lake. Deer Lake Day Camp, something like that. Camp Deer Lake Day Camp. Uh, yeah, wonderful experience. Really kind of uh, blossomed. Um, was was able to teach me a lot about social interaction. And I just kind of like was able to be surrounded by people when normally I would prefer to be playing like Diablo or something like that. Uh, and Easier to, easier not to hide. Then. Right, right. Um, and I remember going for one like uh, block, which was two weeks. And I was like, man, this is miserable. I don't want to be here. 
And then the next, um, the first day of the next like block, Connor was there. I was like, what? Well, how did how did you you know because these were two universes interacting i was like how could he be here and in reality he was like 10 minutes away from his house but um that was something that both his parents and my parents orchestrated no kidding okay yeah. so, so his parents thought it was good for him to know you too because you were more subdued and they kind of wanted him to calm down yeah maybe i was maybe i was the element of order uh yeah. and he was chaos and i was pure order and we kind of balanced each other out okay i'm imagining you now as the two heads of yanis or something <laughs> yes but he was, was certainly the more interesting one oh, um yeah. and it was all just kind of me following him around and he never led me astray um and then you moved away well that was after we had moved away yeah no i mean and then you moved oh, away. oh yeah um so you well, he moved away he moved he to moved boston away. he went first okay so yeah. high school ends as high school ends you're in Connecticut. Yes. And here we are in Connecticut, and you both decide you're going off to do different things, I assume? Yeah, he's going to college, uh, I believe at UMass. He jumped between a different a couple different colleges. but And you went where? I went to Eastern Connecticut uh, State University, and college didn't work out for either of us. Okay. Um, I was had kind of turned into the person that I was going to be mm -hmm. for the rest of my life, and uh, I realized that I just didn't have time for to do high school over again. Okay. I got to college. I moved in with these, uh, seven other guys in this, like basically frat house. And it was great. They were awesome. They were amazing. They took me under their wing. They were all like 25 or something at that point. Uh, we all ended up playing rugby, but man, the classes were awful. The classes were <laughs> Egyptian history. And the teacher was sitting there. Can I swear on the show? Of course. Oh, the teacher was like, you should give a shit about Egyptian history. And I was like, I give zero fucks. I don't want to be here. <laughs> I signed up an Egyptian history. Class? I don't know. I signed up for video communications and I was paying, I was working jobs to pay for that. My parents were paying for that. And I'm like, what, what is this? Uh, I knew Are you sure what I wanted to do. Really bad at registration. No, it was like, you need to take, it was like that or like calculus. And I was like, I don't want to do either of those. I'm never going to use that. Uh, I, definitely I respect a... Egyptian history and, and the Book of the Dead and, you know, all the various. Well, in Egyptian history, it's, it's, it's among the world's original written history. I know, it's, it's pretty, super pretty interesting. Fantastic. And I would watch many a documentary on it, but I'm not going to take a course on it when I'm trying to achieve something. Yeah, and... you, be, you better watch, you better watch out on the Egyptian. It's, it's the eight-year the eight theological studies major, ancient Near Eastern stuff sitting over here. There like, you go. <laughs> Wait a minute. But here. I just knew from. You better stay away from Sumeria. Okay. <laughs> All right. You leave that alone. You're full with Egypt. Fine. You stay away from Sumeria. Uh, no. Uh, yeah. But, so, yeah, you, you decided this is not giving me what I, knew. I want. I knew what I wanted to do. So, how long were you there? Uh, a year. Okay. And I dropped out. And you dropped out. And then he goes to UMass, bounces somewhere else. But yes. Same experience or different reasons? Um, different reasons. I think that's where this, this story gets a little bit real and uh, a little bit. Um, he's been bouncing. He wanted to be an EMT for some time. Well, you know what? Why don't we do this? Since it's, this is where the story sure. gets well, narrated here, if you don't mind, just sure. tell tell the story. Here. So the story is: uh, I'm in Eastern Connecticut. He's at UMass. We see each other maybe two to three times in that year or something because we're just in different worlds. Uh, and this is where we kind of branch and our our story deviates. And up until this point, from the first grade, we had been kind of connected at the hip, going through. Um, and he was just this force that was, I had completely, um, surrendered myself to the fact that this guy was going to be my best friend for the rest of my life. Um, we had shared so much together and grew so much and he had introduced me to so many new things like cigars and, um, 
the pot <laughs> and like going to like camp and like all this crazy stuff. Um, girls like girls weren't talking to me. They were talking to him. And then when I made a funny quip, they were like, oh, who are you? And that's how I got uh, my, you know, my first girlfriend or one of my first date. And it was all through him. Hmm. And so he had been so formative. Um, and and now uh, we don't really know. What to, well, I know exactly what I want to do. He, I'm not sure, knew because yeah. he really likes doing different things frequently. Yep. He really likes being outside. He's a very physical person. Um, and so it's really kind of difficult to advise somebody uh in terms of a career, where do you go from there? Yeah, it's an awful age to be a generalist. This is a terrible time to have lots of interests. Yes. Uh, in human history, there have been a lot of times when somebody with different interests could thrive. This is a rough era. It's super rough. people that, that look at the world that way. Um, and I'm one of those people. I've had seven careers. <laughs> <laughs> and I just knew. I knew that I wanted to be in the gaming industry. I had been um, a gamer since the time I was... 12 maybe I got an N64 but even before then with the Mac gaming uh, and I just knew I was so passionate about it and, and realized I could make a career out of something yeah. uh, at that age I think you think well okay I'm going to be a history major because it's boring and that must equate to a steady job no like <laughs> do what you love and I did what I loved and I had my career kind of I just it just worked like uh, yeah. I applied myself to it I dropped out freshman year started making videos I got picked up by uh, a company in San Francisco and then I quit that when they moved to Alabama moved to IGN and it, it's just been this straight it worked shot. out it worked yeah, out it worked out really well for you uh, meanwhile Connor um, was getting EMT certification and that's just a really difficult really difficult industry to get into um, and now he's an arborist and he's kind of found an arborist, an arborist yes um, Whoa! Yeah. Uh, so he's he's got that's right. He loves being outside, um, and I think what's I've been trying so hard to get him to move to California. Yeah. Because he is just like the epitome of California. Yeah. You scared me when you said that he went through a little time that like things branched, like you went off following one thing. I was scared to death this was going to end in sadness and tragedy. No, so, no, so, far okay. from it. Good. But. He certainly had, I, I think, a bumpier road. I wasn't there the entire time, so I can't say. But he's working restaurant jobs to pay for rent. Classic early 20s stuff. Yeah. Um, and I remember specifically, like, the last time that we we really uh, hung out, I was going to, hilariously, I'd met this girl playing, like, Left for Dead and was going to go meet her in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. But the day before I did that, I made a stop in Boston. And he was living with his girlfriend. And we had... Um, we like we just went all over the town. Three of us had dinner. Um, I crashed at his apartment. We listened to Slipknot, and I woke up, and it was just this orange uh, sunrise. And that was, I, I've seen him since then, but that was the last time that I really remember genuinely interacting with him, and that was in two thousand and nine. So that wow, it was eight years ago. eight years ago. So Ari, isn't it strange? You you grew up with this person. You met him literally in the first grade, in the most formative moments of your life inseparable high school ends what the heck happens to us james we grew up and the context it's crazy like you don't really understand um the cliches behind time flies where did all the time go um until you realize that like you have these things that you're dealing with day to day whether it's your job your friends your health your fitness whatever they're occupying your time yeah and then you stop and think and get like a notification from Facebook. The only thing that Facebook is good for <laughs> is 
reminding you of these people in your life that are so incredibly important. Um, and I have to really set aside time to talk with him because anytime that we talk, it's going to be a four hour conversation. Um, and also it's going to like reopen a wound that I'm not going to be able to see this guy. I'm not going to be able to go to Boston and interact with him and like help him. Um, I don't, I don't even know if he needs my help finding a, a career or whatever, but I, I can't be there for him cause I'm doing my own thing. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think he can move to California because like he's, you know, he's met someone who I'm sure is awesome. Um, he's had questionable taste in women, but I think this one's probably pretty great. <laughs> uh, you just mentioned Slipknot, so I don't think oh, you're sure. allowed to talk about taste in <laughs> Fair enough. I stand by Slipknot. I think it's quality music, but unlike Disturbed, unlike the rest of that, I think uh, I, I do think that they are artists. But hey, wh- uh, what can I say? Oh, we were huge metalheads. Uh, we love Metalocalypse. I, I love which was yeah, on... Well, okay, loving Metalocalypse helps you. You've you've gained some ground back sure. from Slipknot. But uh, half of metal is sarcastic. Half yeah. of it is like tongue in cheek. Um, no, I like Slipknot for the the fact that they're they're very they're transparently genuine oh, about yeah. what they're going for. Yeah, they're just yeah. like yeah, we're goofy. That's our thing. Okay, fine. That's awesome. Sure, I'm all right with that. They look like uh, I don't know, like. Uh, they look like characters from some kind of visceral 90s video game and i'm totally okay with that uh yeah and i'm I'm impressed to think of a more like dedicated musician than Corey taylor who is uh the lead for slipknot still they're touring consistently he's how is his voice box still intact who knows but also stone sour he's he's their front man too and he has his own solo career and does acoustic stuff they're the the wwe of real bands (laughs) <laughs> sure. um, okay anyway sure. it's, i don't know where you're gonna but you are gonna be separated so you talk still are you close anymore uh, i wish i could say we were i think i think it's i think there's like this kind of he was a brother to me so as soon as i see him it's just picked back up but i haven't seen him in like yeah. it's it's getting closer to a decade than it is you know you're gonna be able to do anything years. about that yeah, I guess I'm gonna have to plan a trip, but even then, um, I just always envisioned, and I think that that is something that is interesting for anybody who makes a, a huge kind of pilgrimage when they're uh, in their early 20s. Or I moved to California expressly for this industry, uh, and I've loved it, and I would never consider moving back. And I love San Francisco and the people in it, and um, I'm just surrounded by these amazing individuals who are all driven and accepting. It's like a huge community of Connor Smiths um, and maybe a little bit less chaotic, but uh, that was what was so awesome about him is he was just like, he was a a hellion, but he also had this heart of gold. Um, But when you move, you, you lose, it's not like, it's immediately sad, but then you kind of forget about it. And then I think only when a couple of years have passed and you realize like, hey, we're not going to live in the same area yeah. again and anytime that we do see each other it's going to be for like a weekend it's yeah. it's tough it's really tough i i've gone through something similar in my adult life with some of my best friends some of whom frankly uh, that may very well be watching listening who have worked harder than i have to keep in touch um and i'm thankful for that because absolutely they've made it they've made relationships stay that i might not otherwise have and it's one of the because of one of those people I'm thinking of in particular, I had a friend growing up uh, that was a dear friend through elementary school, middle school, high school. I go off to college and just vanish from the world. I didn't see him for years. I ran into him 
in the middle of the night in a castle in Japan. Wow. Um, <laughs> and uh, that rekindling has been one of the most valuable and wonderful events of my adult life because I've that was not planned. I just... this true friend. Wow. He's like, he is in, he, I'm living there. And I get just this call out of the blue. Like, you know, I don't even, I think he got my number from my parents. He's like, I'm in Japan. And this is a guy I literally haven't talked to in wow. years. And he's like, can, uh, can we meet? And it was amazing. And this, it was extraordinary. So anyway, I didn't mean to. Uh, no, so, I like that. It, that would be amazing. If was he great. was like, Hey, I'm in Oakland. I'd be like, yeah, and, I would, and, and I would immediately that, leave work. It and, changes though. It, so, um, I guess you've obviously it's very clear why you're thankful for this person. Yeah. Um, my last question to you before we move on to the to the bridge is: uh, Is there anything you can do about where you are now? Uh, I can do a better job keeping in touch. It's something that I don't do, not because I don't care about him, but because it's tough. Every, every time I talk to him, just because, like, I'm not sure what he's going through. And we have a lot of stories to tell each other, and it's awesome, and I can't wait to uh, have a beer with him uh, at some point. But it's it's tough to recognize um, somebody who you still want to be such an important part of your life, yeah. but it's just logistically not possible. Adulthood sucks in that regard. Yeah. It really does. It, it changes us in fundamental ways. Uh, I think – I can't remember – whose psychological theory it is that you know the reason time speeds up as you get older is because when you're 10 years old one year is 10 percent of your whole life contextually it's a huge amount of time when you're 20 one year is five percent of your whole life Mm. so it seems to be going quicker by the time you're 30 one year is only a tiny portion of what you experienced and so contextually it just kind of gets buried the world gets faster you get farther apart from people, and yet they don't stop mattering. It's very strange. It's a painful, real part of our lives, but I'm glad that we have the thankfulness that we have for the people around us. Yeah. And, and it's, you make new friends, It's too. It's better to have experienced that and, I think, go through that pain than to not have experienced it at all. For more on that thought, uh, read the last Winnie the Pooh book and the last chapter. Oh, you told me about that. That sounds terrible. It's what you're describing right now. Like, it is that process. It's the most heart-rending thing. Um, And it's also very true. It's heart-rending because it's true. So, uh, we're going to do the hard left turn here. Thank you for telling (laughs) us that story, James. I appreciate it. Now, uh, before we move on to Instant Noodles, I want to thank our Patreon producers, Nick Gray and Robert Nieder, uh, whose generous support makes this show possible. Hey, guess what? Uh, We're on Patreon, and it really helps. That's how we do the show. So please, uh, if you can, uh, drop us us a little bit of money there at patreon.com slash Jared Petty. You get all kinds of neat bonuses for that. We have bonus Patreon episodes that are exclusives there. You get early access to A Pretty Good Day, which is another show that we do here. You get that uh, ahead of time. Uh, we also do something for some patrons called Single Servings, which are special kind of behind-the-scenes interviews. Uh, we learned the secret origin of Brat Brap. Uh, on, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I know. On I have to watch that one. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, a few of those. Uh, we do some fun things. And, of course, Pizza and Dinosaurs presents The Curse of Laser Dracula, which is only available 
Uh, wow. And you keep the show going, which huh? is very important. And you keep the show going, which is nice, too. So thank you guys for that. So there, uh, the, hence ends the begging section of the program. <laughs> uh, if, uh, if you want to uh, mail us people, uh, stories about people you're thankful for, uh, mail at pocketsfullsoup.com. That's mail at pocketsfullsoup.com. Now, uh, mm. are you ready for instant noodles? Sure. Are you ready for the Ross Gallerian lightning round? <laughs> Please. All right. Let's get right in there into your brain. First off. The community submitted question that I love more than any other. What is best sandwich? Oh, that's easy. Oh. Um, it is. There's artichokes in it. <clears throat> it's it's a really complicated sandwich, but there's artichokes in it. There's some kind of vinaigrette on it, and then your choice of protein. Really? That's yes. it? Yes. So vinaigrette, artichokes, and protein. And then whatever you want. Yeah. Your choice of protein. Like, can it be like that weird protein paste from Firefly? Sure. I don't think it would matter. I think the, the core of the sandwich is the artichokes and the vinaigrette, and it kind of seeps into the bread and makes the bread. My problem with sandwiches is the bread is always so such a huge part of the sandwich. I want it to be a lesser part and be enjoying the stuff in between, and the vinaigrette helps with that. So you didn't even mention the bread. Like, you don't care what bread it is? That's probably sourdough. It's probably sourdough. I don't think it would work with wheat. Okay, so no. that's the sourdough. All right, so that is best sandwich. The rare. Thank you for that. What's your favorite word? Conviction. Okay. Ooh, nice one. What's the best song written in the last 100 years? Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, um, um, yeah you got to – that's we put you on the spot here. Uh, uh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm got to commit. Hey, Joe, Jimi Hendrix. All right. Ooh, nice pick. Thank you. Okay, there we go. Uh, if you could travel through time, meet any one person, who would it be? I would meet um, a young Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay, what would you talk with Arnold about, young Arnold? Uh, his aspirations and how he's going to accomplish them. Uh, would you tell him, would you spoil it for him? No. No? You wouldn't let him know if he pulled it off? No, I'd be I'd be very, um, not, not uh, pessimistic, but, you know, quest because... Like, one day you, sir, will be... I just don't get it. I just don't get how he did it, all the things. That he did? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I could, like, a very close second would be talking with current Arnold Schwarzenegger, and there's a lot of great interviews about how he accomplished all the things. Man, everything that guy has set his mind to. And Jeez. the fact that he's, like, a, a running joke because of the way he talks, whatever. But you can't deny all of the things that he's done with his life and Ar how amazing... Arnold uh, Schwarzenegger is... is. Uh, yeah, his, his his success and the way that he succeeded is extraordinary. I'm, I'm often struck by the fact that Arnold Schwarzenegger is one of the few American politicians who's been successful that's been allowed to or has found a way to exist at a crossroads of different political ideas. I know. Like, he <laughs> is not a cartoonish stereotype of one-sidedness. He really does have a nuanced perspective. Uh, I don't always agree with him, yeah, but he no, has different neither. ideas that, that would be considered conflicting in terms of party lines, and he seems to be able to make that work uh, within a person. That's Imagine that, being I different. Know. Weird. I know, pretty cool there. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Uh, a Like a Rocky Road chocolate. Ooh, rocky Road? But like a deep chocolate, like Ooh. a nice, uh, a, a very like kind of thick, like it takes effort to get through all of the ice cream. What's uh, what's the best movie you saw last year? Hmm. Ooh, um, The Babadook, even though it didn't come out last year. That's still the best one you saw last year. God, it was fantastic. Right. Yeah, I love that movie. Uh, are your feet on uh, Footopedia? 
uh, Wikifeed? Did I say Footopedia? Footopedia? Is that, a, is that an, uh, <laughs> an alternative Wikifeed? No, no, actually, that's, but the, they uh, could that's, be. The, that's the wiki for the foot. Here they are. I can't they, believe I said Footopedia. So, okay, they so, could be. So this is, this is for Wikifeed right here? Yeah, and what's weird is my, um, my left uh, pinky toe doesn't bend because <gasps> I, I, I broke it and it never properly reset. But I guess this is our Wikifeed opportunity. Here. Yeah, I could, right. I could be a one out of five on Wikifeed. You could I could be. have the worst feet rate. I my feet are disgusting. Two. I don't think the mm. Flintstones get one. Like, yeah, fair enough. Okay, so there's that. Uh, what was your first, uh, pardon me, who was your first kiss? Uh, my first kiss was this girl named Megan and it was junior prom um, and I had like shied out classic timid me at that point of a bunch of different ones and i didn't really know how to approach it but uh we ended up being in a tent together and it was just kind of hard not to kiss it was a great kiss i was i was 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 probably terrible um but she was very good you're very happy about it excellent cake or pie uh cake cake sorry chastity cake what makes cake superior uh i think the again like a, a rich chocolate cake um, and it has to be a very rare indulgence. Otherwise, if you go to like Safeway and get the $5 chocolate cake every night, it becomes a very slippery, or every week it becomes a very slippery slope. But uh, when I do have it, it's, it's again, like this very thick consistency that's just like this delectable kind of moist goodness. As where pie is like, it's great, it's refreshing, and like a nice fruit pie. Yeah. Um, but eh, whatever. You feel like cake's a little more special. Yeah. Yeah. And the last one, I, what's one question you got for me? Uh, question I have for you. Yeah, and you don't have to have one. At is all. if you could remake any film. Oh wow! Any film, uh, and and do it proper justice. Which one would you do, and what would you change? Oh, I know what I do. Uh, easy. Disney's the black hole. Um, I love that terrible movie. It was. It, it's a <laughs> strange. Have you ever seen the black hole? No. Black hole is a live action movie that was made. Uh, it's it's kind of like late seventies, early eighties ish era. It is this bad special effect sci fi film set in this very original production design this beautiful like glass laden ship hovering at the edge of a black hole with this like crazy captain nemo oh maybe i have seen that yeah most of the actors in it are not particularly great in that film even though some of them are very good actors and the writing's not great and the pacing's awful and there's these two really cool kind of neat good guy robots and then the scariest robot in the history of cinema uh, is, is the evil robot in that, uh, Maximilian. Can you describe what makes him terrifying? Maxim- well, one, he's silent. Um, Maximilian makes no sound. Mm. He's a like an eight-foot-tall robot. Uh, he's red, deep red, crimson-colored with a single red slit uh, mm. going through. But he never – he doesn't walk. He only hovers. He has – he has – limbs that look like they were designed for industrial purposes but all look like something you would just skewer yourself on <laughs> and he has more than four of them that kind of stretch out there is and he meant to be a helpful robot in he was originally you get the idea designed to be kind of like the head robot on the station but mm. as the movie goes on you realize that maximilian's kind of even though he never speaks he's actually in charge of everything <laughs> and he never touches the ground he never makes a noise and he's pure murder Mm. But he's not like he's not like ah, ha ha I'm homicidal. He is calculating. He's just evil. Wow. He's Sounds like you need to watch this movie. Soulless and evil. He's a robot so bad that at the end of the movie he goes to hell. Like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. The, the, like from Futurama, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. So I, I I really love Maximilian, but the black hole 
is a bad movie. It's not a lot of fun to watch and it is full of great ideas mm. that could easily be re-edited and recut refilmed into a science fiction classic i i think there's a great movie hiding in the idea and the art style of the well in our day and age of of remakes and reboots i think it could be possible oh yeah if that hand me the script or yeah Hand over the black hole. I'll, I'll give <laughs> the deed one. to the black yeah, hole, and you can create the, the film, hole. and it's exactly. going to be great. It's wonderful. It is such a weird movie. Anthony Perkins from Psycho. Is, is there in a it? shot in it uh, where like the part of the ship rips off, and he's like clinging onto something and yep. being ripped into? Okay, yes, yeah. I have seen that part. Yeah, that. that's uh, yeah. It's and then they, they end up in hell. They end up in heaven. They end up the other side of the universe. Of course, because that's a, what must be they, they in a large it, mass that light like, can't escape. From. Oh, it's really weird. It's definitely bizarre. not just dense matter. No, it, it's got to be something. Man and robot merged together in another dimension, and sure. it's really it's strange and wonderful. Yeah, it also has like the only uh, the only robot I can think of in prominent like uh, pop culture to be like, "Hey there, I talk like this." I'm <laughs> robot and uh what I, year was it, like 80s disney it feels like early 80s disney yeah yeah that was a weird time for them the disney live action at that that period kind of odd but mm. i i love that you know cat from outer space and escape from witch mountain and candle shoe and and all those i i, I love that that whole sure. kind of arc of of movies but the black hole is is the one i love the most thanks for asking that yeah no worries good question and thanks for coming on james where can people find you Oh, Thuggin' Duggin. Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Thuggin' Duggin, and it's a, a an interesting Twitter handle that I'll have to spell out for you. It's T-H... Man, I can't even do it. I sh Maybe I should consider changing it. The problem is if I change it, I lose my verified status, so I can't. Oh, you're um, locked in. Yeah, so it's... Keep it, keep it locked. Yes, keep it locked indeed. Uh, so it's Thug, T-H-U-G-G-N-D-U-G-G-N. So I had to knock an A because like Thug and Duggan was actually taken. But anyway, Thug and Duggan, just, Thug just, and Duggan. Just, just Google James Duggan IGN and it'll take you right there. James, thank you so very much for coming on the show. I appreciate you sharing the story. Thank you for telling us about Connor, your relationship with him. Thanks for answering all the silly questions. Thank you guys for watching and listening every week. It makes a huge difference. I hope to join us next time. In the meantime, uh, hey, come over to the Facebook group. It's free and there's some nice folks there. We do fun things over there as well. So bye bye.